It's time to be about that life, the startup life. Here's your host, Dominic Lawson. All right, Startup Nation. So I hope you're ready to receive some value today. My name is Dominic Lawson, and this is The Startup Life, the show for entrepreneurs and career-minded professionals. You know, Startup Nation, we all have you know goals and dreams and aspirations, but what does it look like to actually achieve them? What does it look like to break those barriers and create success on your own terms? Well, we have the a magnificent guest to kind of help us out with that and more. She is one of Silicon Valley's first female African-American CEO. She has been featured frequently in Forbes, the New York Times, Business Insider, and more. And she is also the author of Unapologetically Ambitious, Take Risk, Break Barriers, and Create Success on Your Own Terms. She is Shelly Archambault. Miss Shelly, how are you, ma'am? I'm doing well, thanks. Appreciate you having me on the show. No worries. We are so glad and so excited uh, to have you on the show. But before we kind of dive into it, you know, just kind of share what what's your new normal been like? I know we've all kind of been kind of quarantining and, and sheltered in place. And I know you're there in California. Uh, so, Cal, what has this new normal looked like for you and your family? <laughs> Man, I don't even know if I have a new normal yet. Fair um, enough. Yeah. Um, every everything can be different. Um, I was in launching the book. Mm-hmm. I had expected prior to COVID to be doing a book tour and all those kinds of things. And of right. course, all that was canceled. And so as a result, I have been sitting in a chair in front of a computer for mm-hmm. a lot more time <laughs> than I ever ever anticipated. <laughs> gotcha. Gotcha. No, I, I definitely understand that. We've been having many guests to where they, they all said, yeah, 2020 was supposed to be the year, had this big book tour scheduled and all of a sudden COVID just kind of came and had other plans. So I definitely uh, understand that. And once again, Startup Nation, that book is Unapologetically Ambitious. And that book is out now, Startup Nation. We have a link there in the show notes for easy access if you're listening to the replay on the podcast to purchase uh, that book. So, Shelly, if you don't mind me asking, what, what made you write this book? Like I said, you've had this amazing career. Why now? Why, why the book now? Well, you know, it's interesting mm-hmm. um, in that I I have tried my entire career to be accessible. Okay. Um, and when people reach out to me, I, I respond. But mm-hmm. what was happening is I got more and more responsibility. I could still respond, but I couldn't meet with everyone that wanted to sit down and pick my brain, hear my story, learn my lessons. And it really pained me that mm-hmm. I couldn't because I really wanted to be helpful. And I said, you know, when I get to phase two, I'm going to write it down. Gotcha. I'm going to write down how to improve your odds. I'm going to write down the strategies that work. What doesn't? How to think about life holistically. I mean, all those things so that hopefully more people can achieve the aspirations they have for themselves. Because I'll be candid. It just irritates the heck out of me Mm. that so many people are not able to contribute to their full capability. Right. Right. No, I, I definitely understand that. And that's definitely why you, you wrote this book. That's definitely why uh, we do this show to kind of help. And you also have a web series that you do. I want to shout that out as well. Ask me anything with Shelly uh, and Shabo. And this is something you do once a month, correct? Yes, that's right. Absolutely. Um, I sure do. Again, that's just trying to be accessible. Absolutely. Absolutely. And we have a link to that YouTube channel uh, there in the show notes as well. Startup Nation for easy access. If you listen to the replay 
on the podcast. So let's just kind of dive into the book. And, you know, I, I found it very fascinating. I, I was listening, reading uh, uh, the part of the book just now where you're talking about uh, that Christmas in California and your dad trying to, you know, kind of creating his own look to kind of make it happen for you guys. Kind of talk about that a little bit. <laughs> yep, exactly. Mm-hmm. So you want me to tell the story? Yeah, please, please. Okay, sure. So, you know, I tell the story as an example of how you can just decide, just decide that you are going to be resilient. Um, You know, my parents really tried to create magic for us on Christmas when I was growing up. I was the eldest of four. My parents were crazy. They had four children in less than five years. I can't even imagine. Um, But... Well, what happened is when we went to bed on Christmas Eve, our house, the inside of our house, mm-hmm. I mean, it could have been July. You mm-hmm. wouldn't have known it was Christmas. There was gotcha. no tree, no <laughs> presents, nothing decorated, right? The only thing that happened was daddy would put up lights on the house. That mm-hmm. was it. And then when we woke up Christmas Day, magic. We'd come downstairs to Christmas music playing and every inch of the house was decorated. I mean, even toilet paper rolls were covered with decorated toilet paper holders and Christmas themes. You know, my mother loved Christmas. And so we knew, I mean, we had a fully decorated tree, presents under the tree, everything. All this happened while we slept. Hmm. Well, we just knew we were special because (laughs) Santa Claus brought everybody gifts, but Santa Claus decorated our house personally. Right. right? Of course. So here we are. So here we are. Um, My father got a new job and we're moving to California uh, from Philadelphia and we're doing it over Christmas because my mother refused to let us miss any days of school, even at the ages of kindergarten. So we move over Christmas. Well, everybody's concerned. My sister's like, Oh my God, Santa Claus isn't going to find us. And I'm the eldest. I'm all of like six years old, right? Uh, seven years old. And I said, oh, not to worry, right? Mm-hmm. Santa Claus knows everything. He'll see us flying through the sky and he'll see us in California. He'll see us in the hotel room. He'll find us. Well, my parents had to be panicking. Mm-hmm. I don't know what their plans were, but I'm sure <laughs> it wasn't to do a full scale Christmas when we were moving, right? Right. And so because we were landing Christmas Eve. I mean, this wasn't like they had any time and we were staying in a hotel that night because our house wasn't ready yet. So anyway, sure enough, you know, we get to the hotel, we go to bed like normal, knowing that Christmas is going to happen. And my parents scramble, you know, they made, they put together all kinds of issues with family to mail stuff to the hotel. Daddy went out that night driving all over LA, trying to find a tree, ended up convincing a store owner to give him a fully decorated tree that was in the window. (laughs) I mean, it was just nuts. But when we woke up, magic. Christmas happened. We had our tree. We had presents. We had cookies. We had everything, just like we always did. And we didn't think anything of it. I said, see, Santa Claus found us. (laughs) Meanwhile, my parents probably hadn't slept that night. (laughs) Right. Probably a lot of coffee that night for sure. There you go. Uh, for sure. Uh, and I appreciate that story. And, you know, and it really speaks to, you know, your parents, because I want to ask you, you know, to, you to talk about your parents and the type of people they are more and more, because one of the things that we read about and you do a fantastic job uh, in the book about, you know, you illustrate how your parents or that parental unit can be so vital to your own personal growth, your own personal kind of career aspirations. Kind of talk about your parents a little bit more, if you don't mind. Absolutely. So, you know, my parents, they tried, they tried very hard in Mm -hmm. terms of raising us. Um, But at the same time, 
they didn't sugarcoat much. Gotcha. You know, my parents, my parents let me know really early that life wasn't fair. You know, gotcha. you come home as a kid, <coughs> pardon me, mm-hmm. you come home as a kid and something happens. Somebody treats you badly or you don't get, you know, an opportunity or recognition that you thought you should have. Um, and you come home and you're like, mom, it's not fair, blah, 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 blah. And my mother, instead of like reaching down, giving you a hug, patting me on the back and saying, oh, it's okay kind of thing. She would just look at me and say, you're right. Life's not fair. And it's like, what? You know, as a kid, it's like, what? But life's supposed to be fair. But she was always like, no, life's not fair. So, you know, what are you going to do about it? You have to figure, basically, you have to figure out your way. Because don't expect that you are going to be treated fairly. Because life is not fair. Right. And so... I didn't, you know, and the other message that um, that they gave me was you can't control what people say to you and you can't control what people do to you. Right. But you can control how you respond. Because I grew up, you know, I went to elementary school in the 60s. It was racially charged times for as many people that wanted civil rights or just as many that didn't. And as a little black girl, we moved to a white neighborhood when I was in first grade, um, I wasn't treated very well and I didn't get coddled. It was just like, life isn't fair. You know, you have to decide how you're going to respond. And so all those things really shaped who I became because I was competitive because when you grow up with a family of four and everybody's so close together, of course, you're going to be competitive. (laughs) So I grew up competitive, but I also grew up realizing that life isn't fair. And if I just did what everybody else did, I wasn't going to get anything out of this life. I hear that. So I had to figure out how to do things differently. I hear that. I hear that. Thank you for sharing that. And, you know, and I'm glad you said that because you just set me up for my next question, because there's a different part of the book in the in the chapter challenges or strengths. You talk about your first international assignment to Japan and how, you know, uh, the person your I get the, your superior was kind of telling you about the three attributes you needed to be successful and you only had one of them and stuff like that. Kind of talk about that, but also kind of talk about what you ultimately talk about at the end of that chapter is about like having empathy uh, and stuff like that has kind of led to the success to your uh, Japan assignment. Definitely. Mm-hmm. So one of the things that I did not expect Mm-hmm. when I went over to Japan um, was that all that I had learned about being a, a minority in right. the United States right. would prove to be a strength. For sure. And I'm sorry, this is at your time at IBM. I wanted to make sure I highlight that, but go ahead. I'm sorry. Yes, yes. No, absolutely. <laughs> this is when I was at IBM. Yes. And um, and so what happened is you know, I went over to IBM, went over to Japan, and I assumed just like I usually assume that, okay, people are going to underestimate me, right? They're uh, not going to necessarily give me the benefit of the doubt. Right. And so one of the things that I've always done is I use a servant leader approach, which is really all about if I can make my team successful, then I will be successful. Um, so helping to figure out how to help my team. And that's the same approach that I used when I went to Japan. And I will tell you, as a result, we were I was successful right. in that state. For sure. And because other people think that everything they've done kind of comes with them. You know, their reputation comes with them. Everything Mm -hmm. comes with them. And I don't. So one of the things that I tell people, especially people of color and women. Right. Take go do an international assignment. You actually have advantages that others don't. 
because you know what it's like to work in an environment that is not one that caters to you. I hear that. I hear that. Thank you uh, for sharing that. And I want to ask you something uh, uh, to that same vein a little bit later uh, for sure. But I, I appreciate your kind of, you know, uh, uh, driving that theme home when it comes to, uh, uh, you know, having those barriers, especially being a, a, a woman of color, uh, you know, kind of uh, growing up in this country and, and actually trying to navigate, you know, corporate America. Because I know that that wasn't always easy. That's fair to say. Correct. Correct. Absolutely. Absolutely. Once again, Startup Nation, we're talking to Shelly Archambault, the author of Unapologetically Ambitious. Take risks, break barriers and create success on your own terms. And if you want to purchase that book, we have a link there in the show notes for easy access. If you're listening to the replay on the podcast and also check out Shelly Archambault.com. We have that link there as well. A lot of great resources and stuff there for you to check out for Sure. So you have a chapter in the book that talks about embrace your limits. And we hear about that phrase all the time. But what's your doctrine? What's your take on embracing your limits uh, when it comes to, you know, either scaling a company, going up the corporate ladder or just kind of pursuing whatever your dreams are? Definitely. And, you know, I'm going to I want to talk about that. But let me just can I just hit on a word that you touched? Absolutely. That I always want to uh, clarify. And that's the word dreams. Okay. You know, people say things all the time, like, you know, follow your dreams, mm-hmm. um, you know, all those kinds of things. And the challenge is, unless you turn that dream into a goal, it's not going to happen. Fair enough. Fair <laughs> enough. So the difference between a dream and a goal is a goal has a plan and a timeline. So focus on goals. Turn your dreams into goals so that you can actually make them happen. Gotcha. Um, that's the, anyway, just a, just a quick aside. No, I, I see I, that all the time. No, I appreciate <laughs> that. And, and I guess it, it makes it a little bit more tangible as well. When you turn it into a go, as opposed to a dream, is that fair to say as well? Yes. Gotcha. Yes. Gotcha. Indeed. Mm-hmm. Indeed. Um, but yeah, the whole thing about embrace your, and embrace your limits, which I wrote a whole, <laughs> a whole chapter on, right. um, is the key is you don't you don't want to push yourself so hard that you lose yourself. Mm. And that almost happened to me. Gotcha. I was in my late twenties and here I was, you know, things were working right according to my plan. I was uh, at IBM moving forward in my career. I had a husband, two kids. I had just gotten my first uh, nonprofit board. So I'm active in the community. And all of a sudden I'm just like, I'm not happy. And I can't figure out why more than that. I'm just tired all the time and I just don't seem to have energy. And I'm thinking, man, what, what's wrong with me? I mean, I, I have everything that I, I wanted at this point, but is this what it's going to feel like? If it is, then maybe this isn't for me after all. I mean, I was just going through this really, really tough time. And what I realized is that I was actually depressed. Mm. Um, I'd never been depressed before, so I didn't know that's what that was. Gotcha. But I went to go see a psychologist I got help. And what I learned in those therapy sessions was that I was giving 100% of myself away. Hmm. I was giving myself to my husband, to my kids, right? To the family entity as a whole, to my job, to the nonprofits, to the community, right? I mean, anytime people wanted things or needed things, I was giving, but I wasn't doing anything to refill my own tank. Got you. 
And I literally just depleted everything inside me. And it put me in a depression. Now, the good news is, with help, I figured that out. Right. Um, and I learned that I had to make sure that I practiced self-care. And the good news is, Dominic, I've never had that problem again. Got you. Got you. So take care of yourself. It's like they tell you on the planes. Give yourself the oxygen mask first right. and then help the person next to you. Got you. So let me follow up with that. You know, so what did that look like for you? What what did replenishing the tank look like for you? Because I imagine that there's a lot of people listening out there to where they're looking for those ways to kind of replenish their tank as well. Certainly. So a few things. One, I had to learn how to say no. Fair enough. Right? right. And and that's hard because I really want to be helpful whenever possible. So I had to find a way, you know, to stay no that was in line, right, with what I, I believed. And the way I thought about that was I asked myself, am I really the best person to do this? Mm. Right? Whatever it is that I was being asked. And can I realistically be useful? Because sometimes people will ask you because it's convenient. You're there, right? right? Not because you're necessarily the best person. So when I use that that framework or that rubric, it helped me to be able to say no. So that was one. And then the next is I had to learn how to prioritize, really prioritize what's really important for me to get done and then learn to let go of the rest. Got you. Gotcha. Thank you. And, you know, and then no problem. And then it's doing the things to, to maintain my energy. And for me, that's exercise and eating right. <laughs> gotcha. Gotcha. Yeah. I'm, I'm glad you said that because we kind of perused on your Instagram a little bit. So we're going to ask about some of those those uh, <laughs> tasty things that you kind of whip up from time to time. Uh, okay. For sure. Uh, but I, I wanted to ask you this because it, it, it's funny you mentioned that because you were talking about how uh, just now about like sometimes people just kind of like, you know, ask you to do something because you're there. And I'm curious about something because in the chapter, never say die. You talk about, uh, you're, you're being, uh, kind of vetted for the CEO role there. Exactly. It eventually became metric metric string, uh, because the two companies combined and stuff like that. But you say you were doing your due diligence on the company and stuff like that. Uh, and, and I want to ask you this, uh, did you ever think, because this is, they asked you to be the CEO of Metastream, uh, not Metastream, Zaplet, right after the, the 2001 uh, .com uh, bubble burst, right? You know, things at the company are not all that great. Did you ever feel like you want, they wanted you to be CEO to kind of like, if it was going to fall, they needed a, an escape goat or something like that? Kind of talk about that a little bit. Yes, I know. People talk about the glass cliff, you know, when it comes to women and people of color, exactly, right? Exactly, right. Yeah. But but let me give you my my philosophy sure. because I don't believe that anybody hires you with the notion of okay well we'll hire you because this is probably going to fail so we'd rather you go down with the ship right no I, no I really don't believe that's the mentality okay let me explain what I think it is okay I think when things are really challenged that people for the first time will look at other options mm. um, and in looking at other options they broaden the scope of not only what skills they consider, but who they consider for roles. Because now you're kind of desperate. So it's like, okay, everything we've done, right, isn't working. So uh, let's let's look broader. Let's, you know, let's think out of the box. Let's get more creative. Let's take more risks, right, as they think about it. And so what happens, I think the aperture of who gets considered gets bigger. Mm. And when that happens, you have more women, more people of color that make their way through the screen. 
So I think that's what's happening. And it just turns out that these happen to be really risky roles. But I honestly don't believe there's this conscious group think that gotcha. says, because think about it. It's not one person that's doing the hiring right. on those kinds of jobs. CEO right. jobs is a whole group. So I don't think there's group think that says, okay, let's pick who the scapegoat's going to be this time, right? right? No, they want their company to succeed. They are all paid on it, evaluated on it, right? All right. of that. They want it to succeed. So they are just desperate. And therefore, they're looking more broadly. Gotcha. The reason I asked that, and, and I appreciate you sharing it, that and being candid about it. The reason I asked that, because you talked about in that chapter about the question that you wanted to ask uh, from the person who was hiring you uh, as that role, like kind of like basically like, you know, am I going to be the person who uh, sets the checks and balances for the company or am I just going to be the person where I'm just implementing your strategy? That's why I wanted to ask that, because I thought it was a very important. Yes, no, it was very important. Mm-hmm. Um, but frankly, I'd, I'd ask, I would have asked that no matter what the situation of the company was. Fair enough. <laughs> Fair enough. And, and speaking of that time, you know, wow, talk about a time to to take over uh, that role. Like you, you, it's just after uh, the the dot com bubble bursting, but right before two thousand eight, where and in two thousand eight you was gaining some steam and stuff like that, and then that economic crash kind of happened and stuff like that. Kind of talk about you know not only getting the company back on shape, back, back, you know, back into uh, great shape, but also navigating that 2008, 2009 crisis a little bit. Oh man. So yeah, <laughs> story, story is I take over this company called Zaplet, which right. was their emerging money. Um, they didn't have a value proposition, so nobody was buying their, their cuss, their products anymore. And I had to turn it around. So that is, you know, try to stem the bleeding somewhat so you could have more time, go find a problem to solve, then recreate the company, build new products, get new team, you know, all those things. So we worked really hard, came up with the notion of going after comprehensive compliance and risk. So helping companies manage compliance and risk, which at the time wasn't even a software market segment. Uh, Mm -hmm. So we were evangelizing. Right. So here you are creating stuff, you're evangelizing. I mean, this is hard, brutal work. Absolutely. And then finally, in 2008, Gartner, mm-hmm. the leading software industry analyst, publishes a brand new Magic Quadrant. And they announce there is a new market segment for software called Governance, Risk, and Compliance, and MetricStream is a leader. So finally, after years of evangelizing, our phones start ringing. Mm-hmm. It's like, yes, right? All that hard work, yes. So now... We decide, great, we're going to invest in sales and marketing. We're going to grow this business. And in 2009, we're going to raise money on that growth trajectory. Great plan, except for the housing financial crisis. So suddenly, everything came to a slamming halt in Q4. And here we are, having invested our money. We are limping into 2009 with not much money. But... We had sold some customers. We did see demand. And um, and their question was, do we fight or do we fold? Mm. Because it was going to be a challenge, right. given that we didn't have many resources. And you certainly couldn't raise money during that time. So we fought. And it was hard. But we ultimately, obviously, survived and thrived. Because MetricStream is a market leader today in governance, risk, and compliance. Got you. 
Gotcha. Thank you uh, for sharing. Now, I want to ask one last question uh, before we transition, because even in that same chapter, uh, you know, uh, you know, like I said, you know, 2008 comes around uh, and stuff like that. But you really believe in the team. You really believe in the mission. You really believe in the company. And you go home and ask your husband, Scotty, a, a pretty big ask. You know, kind of, oh, I did. Yeah. Kind of talk did, about so. that and, and talk about how, you know, how uh, important Scotty has been on your journey a little bit. Oh, yeah. So Scotty's my husband. Right. Uh, was my husband. And um, here I am. He's And he's been super supportive. I was so, so fortunate to have him as my life partner. Mm-hmm. So here we are. We're facing tough times. I just said, we don't have much money. We're trying to figure out how we survive. And so I come home and tell Scotty, we want to fight. But that means I'm not going to be able to pay myself for maybe maybe a year. And I'm the only wage earner. So he's like, okay, can we do that? (laughs) And I said, well, I ran the numbers. So yes, we can. Uh, We're going to deplete our savings, but we're not going to put ourselves at risk. Right. And I said, but it's a big ask, right? Mm -hmm. And to my husband's credit, you know, he looked at me and he said, well, I've been poor before. (laughs) I laughed when I read that part of the book. (laughs) (laughs) So we did it. We did it. But I could not have done it without him. For sure. You know, it really just illustrates about how and and we hear this, you know, from the Warren Buffetts, from the uh, um, I I can't my name's name's escaping me now. uh, The longtime CEO of uh, Microsoft. Uh, you know, he talks about it as well, about picking the right Bill, Bill Gates. Mm-hmm. Yes, I'm sorry. I'm sorry. Brain fart there. Uh, you know, he, they talk about this, about picking the right partner uh, says a lot and, and goes a long way to professional success. And it just seems that like, you know, Scotty uh, was definitely there for you. But it really did does look like, you know, you talk about in the book, like a real uh, just a great partnership between you two. Kind of talk about your dynamic and your relationship with Scotty just a little bit more, if you don't mind. Oh, for sure. I mean, I was so fortunate. Um, we had a long term. I wanted a long term marriage and we had one. Right. We were married for almost 35 years before he passed away. Mm. And, um, you know, we were a team. You know, we created a common view right. for what we wanted out of life. And we each played you know, different roles. And it worked. It worked really well for us. You know, he was the he was the perfect man for me. And through all the challenges, good stuff, hard stuff, tragedies, you know, I told him up until his dying day that I would have married him all over again. Right. Right. You know, I I just love that story because, you know, we hear because I remember uh, learning about uh, uh, Ruth Bader Ginsburg and her husband is like where you you have, you know, these men in your lives and these partners who who don't feel so, uh, I guess, threatened by their spouse's success. So it's just always great to hear those stories. So I appreciate you sharing that and sharing him with us in the book as well. Absolutely. All right, Startup Nation, so we're going to go ahead and take a quick break. we got to pay some bills. Once again, my name is Dominic Lawson, and you're listening to The Startup Life. Tresta powers this episode of The Startup Life. 
Okay, Startup Nation, I want to talk to you about our sponsor, Tresta. Tresta is an app for iPhone and Android that lets you do business calling and texting from anywhere. I know so many entrepreneurs that are still using their, their personal phone number for business calls. It can get complicated drawing the line between your personal and professional life. Startup Nation, this is the best business phone app out there. Whether you just need a business phone number or if your team is ready for a complete business phone system, Tresta is totally flexible and can grow with your business. And it's all unlimited. Calling, texting, and all of the powerful call management features like auto attendance, call recording, user groups, and more for just $15 per user per month. With Tresta, there's no contract and you don't need any special hardware, just your smartphone you're already using. Tresta is easy to configure so you can set everything up yourself, all online avoiding all the hassle and high overhead costs of setting up a traditional business phone system, which is important because as entrepreneurs, we are always trying to cut cost and time. They're often a 30-day free trial so you can see if Tresta's virtual phone system is right for you. Communicate smarter and more efficiently with Tresta. Start now at Tresta.com forward slash Startup Life. That's T-R-E-S-T-A dot com forward slash Startup Life. The link is there in the show notes if you're listening on the podcast. Tresta, business communication simplified. All right, Startup Nation, welcome back as we continue our conversation with today's guest here on The Startup Life. Absolutely. Once again, Startup Nation, we're talking to Shelly Archambault, uh, the author of Unapologetically Ambitious. Take risks, break barriers, and create success on your own terms. And once again, if you want to purchase that book, definitely think you should put it in your entrepreneurial toolkit. We have a link there in the show notes for easy access if you're listening to the replay on the podcast. So, Shelly, I want to ask you this because, you know, we're in this uh, era of COVID and a lot of businesses have been, you know, going through some tough times. And I know you sit on the board of, of Verizon and Nordstrom and, and, and a few others. And I, and I believe you uh, are like a strategic advisor to the president at Arizona State. I, I want to ask you this, you know, what are those what are do what do those conversations sound like advising, you know, you know, on the board or advising colleges and stuff like that? What does that what does that those conversations sound like and kind of ushering us through this new normal, this pandemic, whatever you want to call it, and, and try to get us, you know, on the other side of it? What does that sound like? Mm, you know, it's all about discussions around strategy. Right. Discussions around where do we believe, you know, the markets are going because sure. nobody's faced this before. Right. Um, not only do we have a, you know, a global pandemic, we've got an economic crisis, we've got a racial crisis, we've got a political crisis. Right. We've got, I mean, all these things are, it's chaos. Absolutely. So being able to plan and figure out, okay, what's it going to look like? What do people want? How are they going to spend? You know, all those things. Um, it's hard. So there's a lot of time spent talking about well, what are we seeing, right? What are we hearing? Let's get the feedback, looking at the data and trying to figure out what the right strategy is to move forward, um, to be able to deliver appropriately for our clients, to be able to support our employees right. and be a good member of the community. Absolutely. And I think that being a, a an, you know, a, a good member of the community is just so important, especially, you know, given this day and time, because like I said, a lot of people, they're they're hurting and, and they're not only hurting, they're looking for answers and they're looking for answers, honestly, wherever they can get it. So I appreciate you sharing that. Absolutely. Mm hmm. Uh, and, and I wanted to ask you this because it, it's kind of become a theme of our conversation uh, you know, and many of your, you know, posts on social media and stuff like that, uh, you know, so 
you know, being a, a woman of color, being a woman of color in corporate America, uh, I mean, I'm pretty sure many would consider you a, a trailblazer. And, you know, and, and speaking of trailblazer, we just elected uh, not too long ago our first, you know, uh, African-American uh, woman vice president, Madam, now Madam President-elect uh, Kamala Harris, uh, you know, and, and it just goes to show that throughout the history of this country, uh, black women uh, have always been there, you know, trailblazing, you know, move, help moving this country forward, even in the face of immense uh, ad- adversity. I was just re- listening to a podcast the other day about how uh, this black woman uh, helped uh, uh, John Kennedy win West Virginia when he was running, you know, uh, running for president. Uh, it just goes to show once again that, you know, Black women have been you know, trailblazing for for a long time now. I guess my question is, where does that mental fortitude comes from? Because it, it, it's it's one of the things it's awe inspiring. And it's also like, how do you do it? So Shelly Archambault, how do you do it? Oh, goodness. Yes, I think for everyone, it's probably different. Of course. Where I get the where I get my uh, mental fortitude is from a number of sources. One, mm-hmm. it's knowing that people believe in me and count on me. And I don't want to let anybody down. Gotcha. Um, it's also, you know, the competitive person in me and that I want to prove that I can do it, right. whatever it is. Um, and then it's also a bit of, you know, peer pressure. Cause one of the things that mm. I've learned to do, I don't want to, I don't want to disappoint people. So I will tell people what I'm going to do. And that way, you know, it's risky, right? Right. Because you tell people, okay, I'm going to go do this. And then if you don't do it, well, then you have to live up with, with that, right? Which of means, course. okay, you kind of failed. You let people down. Right. Well, I'm not doing that. So by telling people and putting it out there in the universe, it becomes another source of drive, right? To keep moving forward. Right. So all of those things help me. Um, and then probably the biggest thing, though, which surprised me, it surprised me, I don't know when, probably 20 years into my career. Mm-hmm. And that was, I was at levels where I actually had a platform where I could make a difference in a broader sense, broader than just my team or my company, but broader. Right. And that in itself became another motivator. Because it was like, ah, if I can actually use the platform I've now created to help improve and then fill in the blank, improve situations, improve opportunities, improve, you know, whatever it might be, then that in itself became a motivator. Gotcha. Gotcha. Thank you for sharing that. And in that same vein, you know, like I said, many would consider you a trailblazer, definitely in the world uh, of tech. You know, if if you would just kind of talk about, you know, the evolution of uh, of of, you know, uh, African-Americans in tech from, you know, when you started in IBM in the 80s and stuff like that up until now. And what more do we need to do in order to see more success uh, from African-Americans in tech and beyond? Oh, boy, that's a that's a very it's a loaded broad, question. I know. <laughs> yeah, I was going to say that's a that's a very broad question for a, a, a short answer. Sure. So 
Um, let me let me address it a, a couple of ways. Okay. So one, companies need to embed diversity and inclusion into the strategy. Gotcha. It can't be an initiative off to the side. It can't be a program off to the side. Because at the end of the day, whenever things get hard, and whatever's driving hard, hard meaning, okay, you know, you've got to put extra effort to get your numbers made, or, you know, you're in situations like today, you know, whatever it is, right? then people revert to focusing on just what's important, which is the strategy. And all those things that are on the side get short shrift. Mm. So you need to embed it into the strategy. So diversity inclusion is important. Then make it part of the strategy. And how do you make it part of the strategy? Well, you know, a really simple thing is if you believe for your company that diversity and inclusion is important, then you need to have leaders who have demonstrated that they can actually build, develop, and retain diverse teams. Right? Right. That's pretty simple. Well, if that's true, then that should become a criteria to be able to be promoted beyond a certain level. So if you haven't actually built and managed a diverse team, then you can't be promoted above a certain level. Got you. Got that's you. building it into the strategy. Got you. I definitely understand that. And, and I think that's so important because, I mean, let's be honest, we, we see a lot of uh, companies out there where, you know, there's a lot of lip service, there's a lot of window dressing, but, you know, there's not being embedded in the strategy. So I appreciate you you sharing that and being candid about it as well. Mm-hmm. Once again, Startup Nation, we're talking and actually wrapping up with uh, Shelly Archambault, uh, strategic, strategic advisor, speaker, and author of Unapologetically Ambitious. We have a link there in the show notes, once again, for you to purchase uh, the book. So I know you were the, the CEO uh, of Blockbuster.com uh, for a while. And, and, you know, people still to this day have a, a deep affinity uh, for that company, even though I think there's, I think there's only one left in Bend, Oregon, I believe, and people actually fly all over the country to kind of, you know, fly over there across the country to kind of check it out and stuff like that. I, I guess, in your opinion, and give your commentary on this, what is it about a brand like Blockbuster that, even though from all intents and purposes, is not in business anymore? Uh, that that brand still resonates to this day. What is it about building a great brand that allows you to do that? Oh, goodness. Um, in terms of building a, a great brand, building a great brand means that you have made a promise, in essence, mm. and you're keeping that promise. Gotcha. Right? That's, that's real, it's really very simple and very straightforward. But a great brands are brands that endure over time because when you think of them, you know, Nike, when you think of Nike, you have an image that comes to mind and they've been very consistent. Even though taglines may change, just do it, you know, whatever it might be. But it's always about um, for them, performance and excellence. Right? right. That's what you think about Nike. Absolutely. And their shoes. For the, um, the spokespeople they partner with, you know, performance and excellence. Um, so when you're building a brand, whether it's for a company or for yourself, right, you need to figure out what is that promise you're making and are you consistently delivering on it? I hear that. 
I definitely hear that. Thank you uh, for sharing that. And like I said earlier, you know, we were on your Instagram page and we see that you have a few uh, dishes here. What, what's kind of like that go to uh, recipe as you're quarantining and sheltering in place for the most part? I know, unfortunately, uh, the positivity numbers of COVID are kind of taking a turn for the worse a little bit here. Uh, but as people are kind of quarantining, what's a what's a great recipe you would like to offer Startup Nation uh, as they're thinking about you know, dinner selections and stuff like that? Oh, sure. So I'll give you a, a really um, simple but very good uh, salmon recipe. Okay. All right. So let's see. Um, set the oven at 375. Uh, take, a, take a slab of salmon. You know, it's like a whole piece. So like a pound and a half. Okay. Um, piece of salmon. And you want to, you can keep the skin on or take the skin off either way. Uh, but take some foil, like heavy duty foil, big foil. Mm-hmm. Um, and put the salmon in the center of the foil and then roll up the edges so that you create a, a little wall, you know what I mean, around mm, the salmon. Right, right. Okay. And then you sprinkle the salmon with salt and pepper um, and then create a mixture of um, a little olive oil, um, lemon juice, or white wine, either one, whichever is whichever kind of taste you like. I prefer wine, but some people don't drink. So I'm saying you can use lemon juice instead of the wine. Gotcha. Um, put like, um, let's see how much for that. So put like a quarter cup of wine and maybe two tablespoons of olive oil. Um, and then add a good heaping tablespoon of chopped up garlic. You know, it's probably depending on the size of your garlic cloves, that might be, you know, three or four pieces of garlic. So a lot of garlic. And then a couple tablespoons of your favorite fresh herbs. I like using thyme, you know, rosemary, parsley, all those are fine. Or you can do a mix of like dill and oregano, right? I mean, whatever you, whatever herbs you like, chop those up, mix that together. Right. Really good. Like almost like a salad dressing Mm -hmm. and then pour that over the salmon. Mm, That's, that sounds so good. And then pop (laughs) and then pop it in the oven for literally, depending on how done you like your salmon, anywhere from, you know, 10 to 12 minutes and then stick it under the broiler for like a minute. Ooh. So you get a nice little color on the salmon. That sounds good. That sounds good. Do you, do you couple that with some asparagus? Like I saw asparagus on your Instagram as well. <laughs> <laughs> yep, you can. Absolutely. The nice thing, the nice thing about doing that in the oven is uh, it's all on a baking sheet, right? You pop that in. Then I would, I, I love roasted vegetables. Mm. So then I'll do another baking sheet and put something like asparagus on it, or I put broccoli or cauliflower, right? Some kind of veggies that I then also roast. Right. So totally, totally do that. Gotcha. Gotcha. Thank you uh, for sharing that for sure. And before I ask the last question, I just want to say thank you so much for coming on the Startup Life. You gave us uh, so much great uh, value and content uh, for today that we can definitely uh, put in our journey as we move forward and make our goals, not dreams, but our goals uh, achievable and beyond. So I appreciate you coming uh, on the show, Shelly. Archambault. Once again, Startup Nation, that book is unapologetically ambitious. Take risks, break barriers, and create success on your own terms. Now, Shelly, I'm actually going to turn the microphone over to you uh, because, you know, given everything that's going on, people are feeling a little discouraged, feeling a little down. Kind of give us some words of encouragement to take us out for today, if you don't mind. Not, not at all. The good news is you have more power than you think. 
So use your power, you know, be in control of your life, of your career. Don't wait for others. Don't play and feel like you're the victim of what other people choose, right? Be proactive and you decide what you want and then go after it unapologetically. And in the book, I share techniques, approaches, strategies for doing just that. Because I believe in you. I know there's a lot of talent and a lot of capability. And it really is just a matter of unleashing it with focus, determination, and the right tools. So go off, be successful, and be unapologetically ambitious. And follow me. I'm on all the social media platforms. Shelly Archambault or at Shell, S-H-E-L, Archambault. And we have all those credentials there in the show notes. Uh, for easy access. I just want to say, you know, that's it. And that's going to wrap up this session of the Startup Fight. We want to thank, once again, Shelly Archambault for coming on the show. Thank you so much, Shelly. You are quite welcome. Thanks so much for having me. Always. And as always, Startup Nation, if you have an idea, be about that life, the Startup Life. If you want to let us know what you think about our show, have an idea for a show topic, or would like to advertise on our show, send us a message on the Startup Life Podcast Facebook page. And while you are there, like and follow our page as well. It's a great way for us to engage with you, Startup Nation, and really grow our community. The link is there in the show notes. Subscribe to the show as it can be heard on Apple Podcasts, Google Play, Stitcher Radio, Spotify, or even on your Facebook timeline or any other platform you like to get your podcast. If you are listening on Apple Podcasts and you find our content valuable, please give us a five-star rating as it will help us climb the charts and help more people find our show. You can also listen to the show on the Startup Life Podcast new website. There you will find the all-new Startup Blog where I write on many topics that are interesting and helpful to you on your path to entrepreneurship. And hey, If you have an idea, be about that life, the startup life.